Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, I'm Natalia Shpilova-Said, and I'm host of New Books in Literary Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm delighted to speak today with Diana Stevan about her book, Lilacs in the Dust Bowl, which was published by Peregrine Publishing in 2021. Diana Stevan is the author of Sunflowers Under Fire, historical fiction, and a finalist for the 2019 Whistler Independent Book Award. Diana Steven is also the author of A Cry from the Deep, The Blue Nightgown, and The Rubber Fans. Her varied background includes work as a clinical social worker, teacher, professional actor, and freelance writer-broadcaster for sports journal CBC Television. And Diana also writes poetry. Hello, Diana. Thank you for joining me today, and congratulations on the release of your new book, Lilacs in the Dust Bowl, which took place just a week ago. Thank you so much, Natalia, for having me. I appreciate that. So, uh, Lilacs in the Dust Bowl is based on your previous novel, Sunflowers Under Fire, which narrates the story of Lucia Mazuretz and her family. In Sunflowers, you share with uh, the readers that the novel is based on the story of your own family. What's the story that you decided to share? Well, um, I I started writing uh, Sunflowers Under Fire, which takes place in uh, Russia during the Great War and uh, the Bolshevik Revolution and the typhus epidemic that followed and life in the refugee camp and then in Polish-occupied Ukraine. And uh, I wrote, I decided to write that because my granddaughter thought I should make it into a book after I shared some of the family anecdotes with her. Uh, my mother always thought it would make a good story, but I never thought of writing it. And then uh, when um, my book came out and uh, readers would talk to me about it and say they, they enjoyed reading it, but what happens to the Kia next? Uh, that was why I ended up writing Lilacs in the Dust Bowl. There were a lot of readers that wanted to know more about Lucia's story and what happened to her after she left, um, left the old country. So, um, yes, and it's, as you mentioned, it's biographical fiction, historical fiction. And um, and because I had my mother's anecdotes, but I, there were a lot of blanks in her story, and I needed to, you know, expand upon that. So I did a lot of research to fill in the blanks. Mm-hmm. And uh, there are a lot of themes in both sunflowers and lilacs, historical, political, and cultural. And of course, like you mentioned, um, uh, there is this layer of biographical um, story. Uh, and um, for this reason, the novel reminds of family sagas that cover and ex- an extensive period of time and at the same time present the changes and challenges 
through which the characters uh, have to go through. Uh, but when we think about Lucia, what was that starting point that would you would like to depart from, uh, let's say? W- w- was it historical? Was it political? Was it cultural? So uh, uh, what's, the, what's the emphasis um, that you would like to put in this story? Um, I think all, basically all of it, and showing uh, a woman who uh, was not educated, hardworking, smart, uh, very resourceful, uh, on her own, I think she showed the independent spirit and the strength and the uh, love of family that so many um, people like in, in Ukraine have, uh, and, and in other places too, in other countries, that uh, these are... Um, women who have not been heralded because they're not famous. They, are, they, they haven't, you know, made their mark in, um, in the news in that way, but they have, um, and, I, and I want to show all of that, and also those cultural influences, how um, uh, the songs and the, and the um, um, I guess the history informed them that they had to keep going, um, and also their faith. Uh, my my Baba Lucia Mazurets was a very religious woman, and um, I think if she didn't have her faith, she would not have survived that time. Mm-hmm. You know, she lost children. You know, loses her husband. Yes, um, typhus herself. Um, it's um, to me it was extraordinary, and, and um, what surprised me mostly is that I had shared a bedroom with Baba for the first fifteen years of my life. And she never talked about what happened in the old country and what happened when she came to Canada. But, you know, she came, she arrived, Alex in the Dust Bowl, uh, she arrives just before the stock market crashes and the Great Depression begins. So my, my first book, <laughs> Sunflowers Under Fire, could have been called the Oi, Oi, Oi book. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and this one was like out of the frying pan into the fire, the, the, the next book, because... Uh, she had hoped to escape, you know, all that turmoil. And here she comes uh, to Canada with the promise of uh, better land, lots of land for her growing family. And what she discovers is not what she thought it would be. And here she is, you know, away from everything she knows, doesn't know the language, had to leave her mother be- behind, her brothers behind. Um, you know, unlike today, you know, we're in this pandemic and we have the internet. Like I'm talking to you now, it's beautiful. I can see you, Natalia, but she never saw her mother again. She never heard her voice again. And so that sacrifice, that um, um, uh, bravery, I wanted to portray all of that. You know, I wanted to. And, and what has um, made me feel so good is just not people of our background, you know, that... Um, are enjoying the story. Others are saying, you know, from other ethnic backgrounds, they're saying, oh, my grandmother was a woman like that. And so speaking to, I think, um, to that group of women, basically, who sacrificed so much for their families, for the love of their families. And, and even though, you know, there was all this political mayhem going on, like, in, you know, changing governments, civil wars, in the old country and then coming here even you know the politicians didn't know how to handle you know the um the growing unemployment etc the, the ravaged farms yeah and somehow they managed you know mm-hmm. 
yeah there is a lot of historical background um in your first in in the first chapter or in the first book and in the second book uh, and uh, you mentioned uh, that time period when uh, the um, uh, ukrainian part was under the influence of um, uh, of the poles and of the russians uh, you mentioned the advancement of the bolsheviks uh, and there is this lukia and there is her family uh, in the midst of everything and somehow uh, all that political and historical turmoil somehow shapes their um, lives as well uh, so I'm, I'm uh, thinking about this position of the individual in the midst of some historical change so what was the um, what was the message here right uh, when you uh, position your characters in the midst of very dramatic and drastic political changes historical changes somehow they do respond to those uh, Lukia makes um, comments about what changes are going on in uh, not in the western part of Ukraine but in the eastern or in the central parts of Ukraine uh, and somehow she knows what's going on and uh, there is some response to that and and uh, uh, she um, is thinking about the fate of Ukraine as well, because there is this always um, under message uh, about Ukraine being independent and how Lukia is also hoping for uh, independent Ukraine. So how did you construct this relationship, let's say, between the individual and history? Well, uh, I think because my grandfather, you know, her husband, Gregory, he fought for the Tsar. And, um, and it was a very, as we know through history, the, the Russian soldiers were not well equipped. You know, there was considerable uh, losses. And then um, following that, with the Bolshevik Revolution and the turmoil in the country, and you had so many different armies fighting. I think there was a feeling that, you know, the people you can trust the most is your family. Mm-hmm to get you through and and um so that that reliance on one another i think just deepened um and also suspicious uh, they became more suspicious and and um trust factor mm-hmm. you know was affected significantly even you know coming to canada and but at the same time um i remember my baba when i was uh, a teenager and she was sick and it was time to vote in our federal elections in canada and my mother said, you know, Mama, stay home. And my Baba said, what? They don't need my vote? And so she went, even though she was sick. And so she understood at you know, a very basic level in, in some ways, which is the most important level, is that you have a voice and you need to, need to speak up. But I think that when, uh, as I, you know, I wrote about it in Some Flowers Under Fire, um, yeah, there were some choices that they had to make where, you know, my, my grandfather was asked to fight in a different army and he said, no, we've had enough, you know, because he saw that, you know, war didn't solve everything. I mean, and, and so many lives were lost and, and, um, and people came back maimed and, you know, so, yeah, so they had learned to rely on themselves. Mm-hmm. 
And um, the novel uh, gives a very good understanding of Ukrainian customs and traditions, uh, Ukrainian food as well, relationships in Ukrainian families as well. And you always specify that you are uh, talking about customs and traditions which are Ukrainian, uh, or food which is Ukrainian, uh, or family which is Ukrainian. Uh, There are references to um, Russians, there are references to other ethnicities, but um, Ukrainian Ukrainians in this uh, novel are portrayed as distinct. They have their own uh, history, they have their own story to tell, they have their own customs and um, traditions and food. Uh, And as you just shared, um, I assume that um, uh, partially this information comes from your own family. Uh, And I'm wondering how else did you uh, collect and choose this material that uh, you included in the novel? Um, well, as you say, I, I got a lot from my own family. Um, I was born in Winnipeg, Manitoba. But my first language was Ukrainian because Baba was living with us and she didn't speak English. And so and my mother was a fabulous cook and a baker and all those foods that, uh, you know, are familiar to Ukrainians, the borscht and the Varaniki and the Holochi and, and studentettes and all of that and, um, was, you know, just everyday food. <laughs> and um, so, uh, yeah, so, so I, I, you know, of course, incorporated that into my novel. I'm, I'm sorry, Natalia, I lost a thread of your question. So what was the last part you you mentioned. So uh, you mentioned um, that you were also using some historical um, background yes. uh, for the um, creation of the uh, um, novel. I read, uh, boy, I went to every library I could find to look at material for Ukrainian history, um, folklore, everything that I could find that maybe could just um, enrich my work. And I went to the Winnipeg Public Library, uh, Toronto, New York City Library. I even went to the one in Stanford, Connecticut, and looking through um, books on Ukrainian history, on uh, everything I could find during that period um, in Sunflowers Under Fire between 1915 and 1929. Mm-hmm. And then similarly for Lilacs in the Dust Bowl, um, I also looked at the books on the Great Depression and looked at archives and uh, Went on, went on the uh, internet and found um, uh, historical information about farming, mm-hmm. the farming methods that were that our pioneers, the Ukrainian pioneers used when they came to Canada. So uh, I love research. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> that wasn't uh, a burden. I enjoyed that. And, and what part was easier for you to uh, write in terms of uh, this reconstruction of historical background? The, uh, the first or the second? I mean, sunflowers or lilacs? Uh, it's interesting. I think, um, boy, <laughs> it's hard to say because uh, Sunflowers Under Fire took about seven years to write. Uh, Lilacs in the Dust Bowl was less than two, but then that was because of COVID. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I wasn't traveling the way I, I tend to travel, you know, to see family and my husband and I like to go to different places. You know, uh, so... It's hard to say they both required a lot of research. I had um, um, a timeline, you know, sheet for every year and what's, what political events were happening and everything I was mapping out. And, and as I said, I read a lot of, uh, a lot of books, um, nonfiction and fiction, 
up for lilacs in the Dust Bowl. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, it's um, I don't know which one. I, I, yeah, I don't know. And the titles are just wonderful: Sunflowers Undefined, Lilacs in the Dust Bowl. Where do these come from? Well, sunflowers under fire, I guess because sunflowers is, is the national flower of Ukraine. And I found this on a um, young Ukrainian girl's website. Mm-hmm. I, I did not know that sunflowers was a national flower. And it just uh, it spoke to me. And uh, that uh, the cover uh, of the book, uh, right here, you can see that, um, that is uh, a family member. Mm-hmm. And the book, and so I'm working with a wonderful book cover designer who put this all together. Um, I had him do the Ukrainian little corners on the <laughs> the embroidery types in the the cottage, and uh, and the same with lilacs and the dust bowls. Uh, this is a picture of my father uh-huh. uh, holding lilacs, and so this is the beginning of my mother and father's love story is in lilacs and i've actually started working on the third book of the series oh wow <laughs> and that one um i've already got a title for that one that's called paper roses on stony mountain oh that's lovely <laughs> yes and it, because paper roses has something to do with their relationship mm-hmm. but um you know so lilacs and the dust bowl and of course dust bowl is um you know the what happened on the prairies in canada and in the usa um, they called it a dust bowl because it, it uh, destroyed the farms, these dust storms. Mm-hmm. So that's how lilacs came in, because my father's holding this bouquet of lilacs. Uh, I would like to go back to um, um, to a comment that you already made about Lucia and her losses in life. And uh, you mentioned that uh, all she had to survive through these losses was her faith and her trust. Uh, but um, Lucia's nature, right? Lucia's character is quite um, complex. She has to somehow negotiate this, uh, these losses with herself because she has this relationship with God, but she also has um, some sort of, not fear, but um, uncertainty, right? Where her life goes and where her family goes. And yes, she has her family to rely on, but uh, those family relations ships are quite complex as well and there are um, arguments in the family and she takes it very close to her heart and again she hopes that everything will be fine but still um i i wouldn't say that her religion or her faith are somehow um subverted or undermined uh but still there is this kind of you know this moment when she she doesn't know anymore whether she will be taken care of Uh no it's true and i think um yes and and it's hard to know where that comes from um but you know her, her inner strengths um as i mentioned she never talked about what happened in the old country mm-hmm. i mean here and and how I found out was my mother was a natural storyteller. Mm-hmm. Mother was the talker in the family, not not my, my Baba Lucia. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I, I just it's interesting. I it was a family therapist for twenty five mm-hmm. years, so um, one of the things she I remember her sitting on the table in her senior years trying to lose weight, and I I think that. 
when I think about the you know the fact that she had gained weight was frustrating for her but I think that was almost like a protective barrier mm-hmm. in some way a way of finding um, some kind of nurturing herself through food you know to give herself some comfort mm-hmm. you know say what comfort of food mm-hmm. is because well there's a lot of pain and and maybe she didn't talk about things because it was just too painful to bring up so she learned how to just bury it just bury it like soldiers when they come back from war they don't bring up what they've experienced because they don't want to relive the trauma you know and it's once you start going there do you you know it's a dark place but she wasn't an unhappy but she just yeah she um resilience like you say it wasn't all faith it was probably her just her personality her inner strength and her wisdom mm-hmm. she was um, even though as i say she was uneducated she was a very smart woman mm-hmm. yeah you mentioned that she was uneducated and she didn't know english but she uh, knew many other languages and it's yes, not only did. one or two yes she did yes she absolutely did and i think you know she probably could have even uh, <laughs> in her like You know, not long before she died, she was still trying to learn some English and asking me to te- teach her some, but she never had to speak it anywhere because she wasn't in her final years. She wasn't going anywhere. And and uh, when they immigrated to uh, to Canada, like many immigrant families, they stick with their own. So they speak their own language and uh, not having to go and work in the public, mm-hmm. you know, as much Then they, you know, don't require it. It, was not, it wasn't a need. You know, if there had been a need, I'm sure she would have learned it. Mm-hmm. Um, she spoke Yiddish and Polish, and she knew some Czech and some Russian, mm-hmm. a, little yes. German, a little bit of German. Uh, yes, so we started talking about um, uh, Canada, um, sunflowers under fire and the rates, the story about Lucia when she and her family still um, uh, live in Ukraine, but then um, lilacs in the dust bowl, uh, it's her story when they decide to immigrate to Canada. Uh, and of course, uh, they find themselves in a very alien, foreign environment, and they somehow have to find their way there. And they do to some extent. However, they also have to uh, go through some hardships and uh, just uh, through this sense of not knowing. Uh, However, they somehow persevered. Um, So, What's the um, what's the main line here when she uh, goes to Canada? Um, what would you like to um, emphasize in this part of the story? Uh, a lot of hope, a lot of hope, hope. Um, for uh, a better life. Uh, her family was expanding. Her eldest son already had a child, and uh, she saw that writing was on the wall. The other three children would probably find you know mates and then and in at that time in polish occupied ukraine they weren't allowed to expand their land they were limited and so when she heard on the streets of lutsk that there was this wonderful offer in canada of land well first of all she thought to go to america but america's borders were closed at that time mm-hmm. they weren't allowing any new immigrants so um you know they chose canada and mm-hmm. um Yes, a lot of hope. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, when you think about it, you know, she was in her early 50s. Right. Mm-hmm. And she came and uh, and a widow. 
on her own with, uh, you know, a family and uh, incredible courage and, you know, to go when you don't know where you're going. So a lot of hope um, and, and a belief, I guess, in this promise um, of land. I mean, uh, at that time, people were also going to Argentina. You know, that was also another, um, from, uh, you know, Polish-occupied Ukraine. Um, yeah, a lot, a lot of hope. Mm-hmm. Just, I think that, and you know, a dream of a better life, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yes. Um, it is mentioned in the book that uh, there is this uh, one fragment where it is mentioned that uh, she somehow was comparing Canada and America. Yeah, we're not in America because um, in America they have much more money than they do here in Canada. Um, so I was wondering where that kind of uh, comment comes from. And right now you just uh, explained that uh, your your Baba, right? They wanted. Yeah. To, they wanted to go to the States first, not to Canada. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, but then uh, it just happened that they immigrated to Canada. But uh, still, when they immigrate to Canada, they are trying to find some Ukrainian communities. Is that something that your Baba was doing as well? Absolutely. And uh, when they arrived, I mean, there were lots of, you know, it was the second wave. It was the second wave of Ukrainians coming to Canada. The uh, um, first wave was around the turn of the century. And they were in the second wave, which which was a problem because then all the good land had been already taken up. So when they arrived, you know, it was <laughs> it wasn't quite what they thought it would be like. I mean, the the, the pickings <laughs> weren't, mm-hmm. weren't there anymore. So uh, yeah, that that was a hardship. That right right from the right from the start. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's interesting how uh, Lukia is drawn to this idea of her own land. That's what uh, they had in Ukraine, and it was very important for her to have that piece of her own land in Canada as well. I think that's, uh, yeah, that thing is very common. Uh, there's a wonderful film called Zemya, <laughs> right? A, a Ukrainian film called Zemya, land. Um, so land is... Uh, Yes, because then you you you're you're your own master. There's a history, right, of serfdom in in Ukraine. I mean, Vlasovchenko's poetry speaks to all of that. So uh, yeah, yeah, very much so. Then you know, you're 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 your own boss <laughs> in a way. Um, yeah, everything depends on you, and you depend on it. And and, uh, and and I'm so happy today that we are gaining new respect for farmers. Uh, I think that, um, yeah, they are an overlooked occupation mm-hmm. uh, many times because they have, well, it's our food, right? It's our food. We would, without food, where would we all be? And they had that knowledge, that understanding of, um, you know, crop rotation and all that. I mean, that's, uh, there's a science to it and an art to it, which, um, you know, uh, yeah, they, they just knew their plants and, and what to do. And they, you know, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I would like uh, to, um, I would like you to uh, talk a little bit more about how Lukia uh, finds her way in this uh, new country. Uh, she, um, she leaves her country, she leaves her, her home, and uh, she abandons something, right? And she loses something. But then she comes to uh, Canada and she gains something as well. Uh, and um, there are episodes where Lukia thinks about um, the country that she left and then she had 
some doubts if she made the right choice. Uh, and um, as we said during these episodes of uncertainty, she thinks about her family with hopes that eventually, after all, all these hardships um, will be uh, over. What is it that she gains when she comes to Canada? Well, I think she gets she gains uh, living in a country that isn't uh, uh, threatened by war mm-hmm. constantly, mm-hmm. and she gains by having her children at home. Because when she um, left Polish-occupied Ukraine, there was a threat that her son, Mikhailo, Mike, Mike Mikhailo, would be drafted into the Polish army, and. Um, she had already lost some children. She didn't want to lose another, you know, with war and, and the Bolsheviks were threatening. So she gains a peace of mind that way. And when she arrives in uh, Winnipeg, Manitoba, there is a large Ukrainian uh, community already established right. from before. Um, Manitoba, Saskatchewan, Alberta, those three provinces um, had a lot of Ukrainian immigrants. So, and there were Ukrainian agents that helped with finding farms. So there were people who spoke her language, and she was able to find there were churches already. There was Ukrainian Catholic and Ukrainian Orthodox churches already built. There were so there were people that she could draw on, and and you know, and again, and a priest that she could draw on for, you know, to and some and familiar. Uh, in fact, in the church. Um, that I went to, one that my baba went to in, in Winnipeg, we sang Shtyan of Madala Ukraina at the end of the Mass, which is, you know, the Ukrainian national anthem. So um, so there was, and, and also that particular church she went to was from her oblast, from her uh, her, her district in, in, in Ukraine. So... They were like they were. They, had, they all had that familiar, that same history, so there was a piece of that old country that she could still cling to in some way, even though she was so far away from it, from the land of her birth. Uh, and there is a conflict of younger and older generations in both um, uh, yeah. books. Yes, and uh, Lucia and her children specifically. Uh, in a different country, this uh, eternal conflict, I would say, acquires some new layers. Uh, how do Lucia and her children get along? Because, yes, um, on the one hand, it looks like they do get along. On the other hand, Lucia gives some, uh, wa- uh, some wise advice to her children, specifically to her daughters, when they get uh, older and when they enter this age where they can um, start some relationships with them, uh, with with partners. On the other hand, um, there is there is a lot of conflict as well, specifically between Lucia and her sons, Lucia and her brother. Uh-huh. So how do they get yeah. along? If they get along. Well, you know, well, that's you know, it's interesting. As I mentioned, I've been a family therapist for 25 years, and one of the things I discovered in my work as a therapist is a normal family <laughs> has all those elements. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not it doesn't always get along because they're different personalities, and then you have the generation. Talk about generation gap. It's just um, yeah. As children grow old, they want to grow up, they want to find their own voice, they don't always agree with their parents. I mean, these are common themes for every family. 
no matter what culture you come from. And especially when you're coming into like a new country, then you've got the children who are now adapting to the new country. Mm -hmm. There's going to be even um, more challenging distance, I think, mm -hmm. to navigate for the parents. So, um, yes, there's a lot of conflict, but I think that's, that. I mean, to me, that's pretty universal. It, mm -hmm. it looks, just looks different in every family. Mm -hmm. uh, some, some, some conflict is buried, some, some uh, is not spoken, and some in this particular family, in the Mazarets family, things are pretty open mm -hmm. in some ways. And um, Lakia does her best to understand her children. She doesn't always understand because they're all different personalities. Mm -hmm. And she wants them all to sort of, um, I guess, stay true to what she believed when she was growing up in terms of the land being important, but she discovers that a few of her sons aren't as interested in farming mm -hmm. in, in the land. Mm -hmm. And that and that's a challenge for her. That's a real conflict because mm -hmm. part of her goal in coming to Canada was to keep the family together. She wanted them to stay together. And then here she finds that maybe they have different ideas. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that that's, yeah. And, but again, these are conflicts that I think you see in no matter what family you're in. Mm -hmm. It uh, looks a little different. Yeah, and your comment reminded me of um, that documentary film, which we, in fact, watched together, yes. Um, yes. Olga's <laughs> Italian Diary. And there was a line by uh, Olena Feduk, and there is a line there. Um, it's very hard to be um, a Ukrainian mother of an Italian daughter. So and <laughs> just just like you said, that it's, it's kind of universal. Yes, there are decades and decades between these two stories, but um, they are united by some common theme that, that to some extent this conflict is some sort of uh, eternal and uh, common and yeah. universal. And I remember you also shared your story from your own um, experience where uh, you couldn't quite relate to your parents and to your um, uh, Baba as well. Yes, I mean, well, I didn't appreciate, I think, their stories when I was a teenager. And I think, you know, again knowing what I know about, you know, the different ages and stages of, of development, uh, teenagers are pretty self-centered, mm -hmm. you know. So mm -hmm. I think I was more interested in boys and going out with my girlfriends and studies and all of that. And so I didn't have the patience sometimes. I mean, I, I sat there, but it was going over my head, a lot of the stories. And it wasn't until I became a mother myself and uh, my, mother, my mother was aging that I decide to write those stories down. But you're, you're right, there was uh, a lack of appreciation, I mm -hmm. think. So in writing these stories, I feel like I've, I've um, touched, I think, a bit of the heart of my family, you know, and um, understanding my, my Baba as a woman, you know, more than just my Baba, you know, a woman in every uh, sense, as, as a mother, as a a daughter herself, she's um, a grandmother, um, a wife, you know, and as a citizen of a country. I mean, this is so multifaceted. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so uh, uh, that's been a gift to me, Natalia, you know, writing this story. It's been a real gift to appreciate um, my family on so many levels, mm -hmm. all, all their all their warts and everything. <laughs> <laughs> we all have them. <laughs> 
um, I'm thinking about um, immigration um, yeah. on a yeah, on a, on a larger level uh, in terms of generations and societies. Is the trauma of leaving one's country uh, oh. eventually forgotten? Can it be forgotten, or does it um, take some other societal and um, generational manifestations? Um, so. Um, Knowing that your family immigrated from a different country, did it somehow shape their worldviews, for example, or did it somehow establish uh, some sort of a um, ground for you uh, or for your characters as well? Uh, those who already live in a different country, but they carry this, I don't want to say burden of living another country and somehow transplanting oneself from one um, environment to another environment. So I'm, I'm thinking about these, maybe um, not just cultural repercussions, but psychological repercussions, emotional repercussions for the individual. Absolutely. Um, yeah, yes, I think um, burden, I don't know, it, it's like there's, um, there's a thread that connects you. Mm. Like even though I was not born in Ukraine uh, at all. But I feel a st very strong connection. Um, I used to tear up when they sang the national anthem. I get shivers at my back. Even now, I'm concerned about what's happening over there. Mm -hmm. You know, it wasn't the country I came from. So I think, and this also made me very sympathetic to the plight of any immigrant, no matter where they come from. You know, I know in America, you know, there's a whole problem with the border. Well, I look at those poor people who are leaving, who don't want their, their sons to be um, taken up by gangs, you know, say in South America. You know, they're, they're trying to, for their families, for the love of their families, they're, they're making huge sacrifices, endangering their lives, trying to escape, you know, riding all these freight trains. I mean, I can't imagine. But again, like they, again, they will do that for love of their family. They will make those sacrifices. So, and they will carry in their heart, I think, what is going on in their family mm -hmm. for the rest of their life. But I'm, um, yeah, you, I don't think you can escape that. And I don't think you want to escape it. I mean, I, I would hope you, I, I would hope you wouldn't, you know, it would still be there for you because it's so rich. You know, all, the, all those, um, memories and songs and dances and stuff that you can't replicate. You mm -hmm. just have to carry it with you, mm -hmm. you know, and you try your best to adapt, but you know, you, yeah, I think it's important to hold on to that. I, yeah. <laughs> did you have a chance to travel to Ukraine? Yes, I did in 1988. And that was when Gorbachev was still in power and, and we were limited, uh, but we did travel to Lviv and Kiev and to Lutsk and back to my, to the village of Kivertsi, mm -hmm. where Baba and my mother mm -hmm. uh, came from. And, and so it was wonderful, but it was also frustrating because uh, we had to be escorted by, you know, uh, government officials. Oh. We didn't have the freedom to go on our own. And the relatives, when they came to see us in our hotel in Lutsk, they had to hand in their passport at the front desk. And, and then they wouldn't even talk in the room. They were worried it was bugged. They were looking at the ceiling, looking oh, at the floor. Wow. Yeah, so it was, uh, yeah, it was uh, quite the experience. But at least we had a taste of it. And we went to the cemetery and uh, to see where, you know, my, my uh, mother's father was buried. And, 
and the church there. Um, and the, it, was a, it was wonderful. And I, we like to go back. In fact, my whole, my grandchildren want to go. And uh, my granddaughter, I'm teaching her Ukrainian now over, <laughs> <laughs> over Zoom. She's in Toronto, but she's very interested in, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. in the language and all of that. Mm-hmm. And um, could you tell us just a little bit about your third chapter, third part to these to this series? Oh, um, Paper Roses on Stony Mountain. Well, Stony Mountain is uh, the village behind the federal penitentiary, the Stony Mountain uh-huh. Penitentiary, where my father grew up. My father also came from Ukraine. He came from uh, Bukovina mm-hmm. when he was two years old. Uh, so he came... Um, about five years earlier than my mother. No, no, more than that. Uh, he came to Canada in 1912. Um, and he came in 1912. And my mother came in 1929. So my father was quite, um, I should say, anglicized, mm-hmm. although his mother didn't speak any English. <laughs> his mother spoke no English, um, but my father and his brothers grew up in Stony Mountain. So... Yeah. So anyway, it's uh, the end of, I don't want to give anything away, Yes, of course. <laughs> but in Lilacs and the Dust Bowl, at the end of it, there's, um, yeah, there's been some issue between my mother and my father. And so in Paper, uh, paper Roses on Stony Mountain, it picks up where that one leaves off. So it's more about, uh, I think, their struggles mm-hmm. and, uh, and some more about Lucia mm-hmm. uh, and sort of, yes. Well, uh, thank you so much. Uh, thank you so much for giving us just a little bit of information what your upcoming novel will be about. And again, congratulations on uh, the release of uh, uh, Lilacs in the Dust Bowl. Uh, thank you for uh, sharing your own stories through these uh, novels. And uh, of course, thank you for uh, narrating the story that opens up um, some perspectives on um, immigration um, in a particular on the stories of uh, those Ukrainians that had to somehow find their way in a different country and uh, abandon something essential to them. Uh, I do believe that land is something essential to a lot of Ukrainians and uh, to give up that kind of connection, to give up that kind of a sense of belonging uh, uh-huh. to some extent yeah, is uh, some sort of uh, trauma. Uh, thank you so much, Diana. Thank you so much for having me, Natalia. I look forward to to uh, connecting with you in the future. I'm, I'm looking forward to reading your third uh, part of this uh, series. Uh, today I spoke with Diana Steven about her book Lilacs in the Dust Bowl, which was published by Peregrine Publishing in 2021. Thank you for listening to New Books in Literary Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. <laughs>